Hi, my name is JC and welcome to the Class Podcast. We're here to engage in conversation that adds to our mental and emotional toolbox. Every week, I'm going to be joined by one of our teachers as a co-host as we chat with those that inspire us. Thanks for being here. Here we are for another episode of the class podcast and guess who my co-host is today <laughs> it's me it's natalie pumps the pumps. woman who needs no introduction natalie kuhn <laughs> thank you for being my co-host today sister oh man what a treat and a delight jc gossett natalie is a beloved teacher here at the class she's also our vp of programming she's been here from the beginning her classes are fire inspirational and unforgettable. Oh, come on. Stop. Don't stop. It's true. I get to be on and off the mic at the class, which is really cool. And the part of my life that's off the mic is all about creating events that dive us deeper into the center of the center of ourselves. And that is how I met our guest today. Share with our listeners who is joining us. This brilliant sorceress, her name is Nikki Morissette, and she joined us for the Wisdom of Emotions, which was something that we did last fall. And of the 10 thought leaders that we brought on, Nikki was definitely one of the most talked about. She guided us through using sound to experience and release grief in the body. So we we just had to bring her onto the podcast to really explore that a little bit more. Nikki is an actor. She's a singer, a teacher, and a seeker. As the front woman for the band Great Caesar, she has shared the stage with Alan Stone, with the Indigo Girls, with Eric Hutchinson. And I'm pumped because she's about to release an EP of her own songs of love and survival and healing. The key thing is that as a performer and a teacher, Nikki helps others uncover and develop their expressive selves. Mm -hmm. And that's really what we talk about in this episode. We talk about not just singing, which for me already is like a trigger word, (laughs) but too many like horrible karaoke nights, right? But, But sound and making sound as a spiritual development tool. What does it mean to hear your own voice, to stand by your voice, to listen to the quiver in your voice. Mm. And how does that help us evolve? So good. This is my first time getting to really chat with Nikki and she's just so powerful, radiant, soulful, connected to herself in a way that is admirable. I really learned a lot in this episode. I'm so excited for you guys to hear her. Here we go. This is amazing. I love your setup. It's so professional. Welcome. What's up, everybody? I miss you. I miss you too. You know JC, right? Not in a, not in a, in like an official, this is our first official meeting and this will be our first official chat. Cool. But this is exciting. From email and from the shanty shack. 
which I don't know if you remember that, but I used to be one of the managers at Kula and I worked in Williamsburg for a while and I would see you in there on occasion. I think about brownie all the time. I Brownie is, whoa. Yeah. Whoa. I need to like hit her up actually, see how she's doing. If you wanted to run into JC, it's a safe bet would be that she was grabbing food at the Shanti Shack <laughs> and a safe bet you could find Nikki at either Kula locations. Yeah, that's exactly right. For years and years. The way that I got to know Nikki, I think is is notable because I heard of Nikki's legend before, <laughs> before I got to meet her. And that's because in addition to teaching, I also work on the programming side of things. And so we were creating something that happened last fall called the Wisdom of Emotions. For love, I went to the professor of love at NYU, who is a mutual friend of ours, Dr. Megan Poe, witchy, brilliant, sorceress woman who moonlights as a professor. And I was like, you know, I really am struggling with finding the right person to help guide the group through grief. And she was like, well, there's no one else. Let's talk about who Nikki Morissette is. And I said, her name sounds so familiar. And she said, you may remember her from Kula. And for those of our listeners who don't know, Kula is, was, was RIP, a yoga studio that brought a lot of us together. It was where Taryn studied from Kevin and Allison Sinatra, who was previously on the podcast. It was where Taryn actually had some of her yoga teacher training, I think, after Allison West. JC, I know you were a big student of the Kula crew. I was a student. That's how I met Kevin and Allison. There you go. And Nikki, you you were deep in the family. And so I reached out to you, Nikki. And from that first conversation, it was, there was no like, hi, how are you? Where do you live? How many brothers and sisters do you have? It was like, what's the deepest sorrow you've experienced? And how are we going to let people know that that's okay? (laughs) That's how you talk about grief. I don't know any other way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And Nikki, you know, to set the stage, what you led us through in terms of understanding grief was understanding grief through the vehicle of sound. Yeah, sound is the way into everything because it's so often the thing that we're blocking the most. It's the thing that's not flowing freely. And I like to look to those places as, oh, this is where there can be a release somehow. If something's not moving, if we get it moving, maybe there's a release in there somewhere. So it felt natural to, yeah, let's use the voice. When did that start for you? Because I know you're a singer. Did it begin because you were writing songs or did it come in through your spiritual practices or what's your relationship to your own voice? Big question. (laughs) Big question. Well, part of this, there's a story of like, yeah, I've been singing my whole life since I, before I could talk, I was singing. That's one version of the story. Growing up in church, music is really foundational gospel music and that congregational singing. But the other side of the story is that my own journey with my voice, and and when I say voice, I mean all kinds of expression, is something that was really restricted and so both are happening. I was in spaces where, yeah, we, we use our voices, we're free. But then also that being put into a box and 
in my healing journey or multiple healing journeys, I started to understand that there are all these little areas of my life where there was a cap on it somehow. Like there was a limiting belief or a limiting story, some kind of cap. And that if I could use my own body to explore those things, whether through movement or not, that somehow, like I was saying, that there's some release to be found there. And the thing about the voice is so many people say, oh, you can really sing or, oh, that person can really, really sing. And, oh, I don't sing. That's something I hear constantly. I like singing, but I, I don't really sing. And to me, I think I think that we should regard statements like that with uh, a level of absurdity as we would someone saying, oh, I don't really breathe. Like, for instance, yeah. there are people... Yeah. There are people who breathe really well, like Michael Phelps. He's made a whole like he's a master of his breath. People who dive to the depths, they do amazing things with their lung capacity. But how ridiculous would it be for you to see someone like a deep diver? What are those people called that dive deep? I can't oh, think of free, like a free diver, a free diver. Yes. Mm. How ridiculous would it be to witness a free diver use their lung capacity and be like, oh, no, I don't breathe. And it's like, what are you talking about? You don't breathe. Breathing is what you do. It mm. you wouldn't be without breathing. And I feel that way about sound, like the self-produced sound. It's what we do. But mm. somehow along the way, we get these stories and they come in from so many directions. We get stories of like, oh, no, I don't I don't do that because we put it in a paradigm of good or bad when really it just is. It's just like the breath. It just is. We make sound. And I think it's such a visceral way to start to understand the limitations we've put around ourselves. Because even if you have sung your whole, whole life, you likely have stories of like, oh, I don't do that like that person. But let's take it out of the comparison. Let's take it out of the ego's like propensity to, no, this is me. This is you. And it's just like, no, this is what we all do. Mm. Ooh, I don't know. <laughs> I can mm -hmm. go off about this. Was there a moment? I mean, first of all, you're a woman of many talents, Nikki. I mean, we were thinking of all the ways to describe you as you're coming onto the podcast. It's like, she's a singer. She's an actress. She's a healer. She's a teacher. She's, she's a, a yoga facilitator, which I definitely want to get into. But, you know, with your background as singing, like you just mentioned, you were singing before you could talk and this voice that you were blessed with that just is... Oh, Lord. Falls in spirit from mm. all the dimensions. Was there a moment where it went from, I'm a singer and a performer to exactly what you're saying, that it, it is sound yeah. and then the healing component that sound can bring? Was there like a specific moment where that shifted for you or was it along your own healing journey where it was like, oh yeah, singing can be used in this one way and my talents can be showcased in this one way, but then there's this other healing aspect that comes with it. I think I've always had a sense of the power of my own voice. When I was a kid and would sing, people would say like, oh, and, and the words in church are, oh, that's an anointed voice or like that voice has been touched. And I I felt like, wait, what? <laughs> like, how, how is that coming out of me? I don't understand it. And that culture was really about humility and not, not valuing things that are coming through you. If, you. if you were anointed in a moment, it was like, oh, thank God for using me. And there, there was no owning of that. And so it was always like a surprise when it was coming through. <laughs> and, and then also, there was a lot of people who would come to me and say things like, you need to make sure that you use this 
for church or use this for God because the world's going to want this. And I know this is going kind of a different direction, but it's an important part of my story. But there was a, a part of my learning that was all of these things that my body can experience, they are not for me. My voice, my sexuality, my sensuality in the world, they're not for me. They're, they're meant to be in honor to God. And not that I, I don't believe that or think that's poo-poo. I just, I had to learn a new way of being with my body that was owning my experience. Even if it was a gift, it's like, how do I understand that this is coming through me, through this body, through this vessel? And so over the years, singing for people, having that experience, when I finally got to college and had a, a voice lesson for the first time. I had wow. zero confidence because I I had a fear like, oh no, I'm like, what if this is not using it for God? I know that sounds insane, but that was that's how the indoctrination was. Oh, what if it's not that? And I I immediately started trying to sing like classical music. That's like how you get vocal technique. And my voice teacher at the time was just like, she hated my voice. <laughs> And I would leave all of my lessons just in tears. Wow. And by the end of the second semester, she set me down and she was like, we really need to think about changing your major. <gasps> yeah. And uh, I did. After <gasps> that, I was like, I guess I'm not meant to be singing, but life is so funny because over that particular summer, I was always friends with the jazz kids and like the people making music. And so I would be around them and singing. And I thought that I had lost my anointing. I thought that I'd lost how God touched my voice. I thought I had lost it, but I ended up starting to sing a lot, but it still didn't feel like my own. There was this disconnect. And so whew, it's like, how deep do you go into this stuff? But in a process that I went through in trying to uncover the depth of some really serious trauma that was my childhood, uh, apart from even what I just mentioned, I realized that I need to have a relationship with my body as if it were my own. And I'm still, I'm still in this unlearning and in this journey, but the voice is so essential. And when you have a breakdown or when you see something funny, there's just sound that I, this is how I really started noticing it. There's just sound that's like, <laughs> like, what is that when we laugh? <laughs> How is that coming through? I was never taught how to do that. That's just something I know how to do. And a real pivotal moment for me was I have an aunt who had four strokes and she lost her ability to speak. And she's, she's still alive. She can make a few sounds here or there. But when I finally got to see her after that fourth stroke, everyone was like, oh, she can only say one phrase. It's a lost cause. And I just had a feeling like, you know what? I... I express all the time. I I teach people to be embodied. I think I can do it. I was completely naive. There are people who train, who specialize in speech pathology and therapy, but I just was like, I think I have a feeling of what this is. And I worked with her just for a short time and like, where's the sound originating from? How do we get this out? What are the motor skills that we need to produce the sound? And just in that process and having a little bit of success with her, I realized for myself, I need to go back to the roots for myself. How do I make sound? How do I get it out? How can it free me? How is it a part of how I'm designed to work here? Mm. Not, not just as a singer, but as a person, how, it, how does the sound help me 
do my human mm-hmm. thing better. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that started a whole exploration. I'm not even sure if that completely answered the question, but I, I'm interested in all of the ways that I can get more free. And also once I discovered that the voice is a path for that, it's like, oh, I want to get other people free too. Mm. Yeah. You know, what I hear in your story is there's so many different parts of us that we are afraid of, you know, for whatever Mm. reason, whatever trauma it was, whoever the anti-mentor was, (laughs) the one who didn't lift you up, but the one who said you couldn't. And that gets so embedded and ingrained in our system as a point of fear that we see this exact thing happen in the class all the time because we ask people to use sound on their exhalation, not in actually in any real form, but in this loose form, just in the way that you did. Maybe it's a laugh. Maybe it's a huh. Maybe it's, you know, Taryn says from the guts. It's just, it's from within and it's nonverbal. It is just simply producing sound. And how do you, Nikki, so many of our students are really terrified. Then I use that word really specifically. There's terror Mm -hmm. around hearing yourself, Mm -hmm. around speaking, around hearing yourself speak. Mm -hmm. And how is it that you think about or guide or help others come to that place of sound as expression? Mm -hmm. One of the things I think about and often say is that when we're talking about a movement modality or something, we're thinking about the healthy range of motion of a joint And usually there's something a little bit beyond that, that some people can access, but it's your body can move in all kinds of ways is the whole idea. Like you could do this. There's so many ways your body can move. And I like to remind people that the voice is exactly the same way. So something I say at the end of yoga classes is we've moved in all the ways. We did side bends. We did, we've moved in all the ways, but did we have that experience with our voices too? I think taking the pressure off of it to sound good. Like we we are always putting things in a paradigm of it's got to be good. And just letting that go. There's no, it's, it doesn't exist there. It just is. Can you let yourself have all of the sounds? And so when I'm coaching people, we do a lot of really exceedingly silly things just so it, we can kind of like free the mind trying to meddle into it Mm. and just be silly. So like, just make sound, make Mm -hmm. sound, play with your range of voice, just like you would play with the range of motion. You're not trying to, to, to stress anything. You're just trying to express something. And so I think once things can move into the realm of play, there's more possibility. Oh, and I just want to speak about the emotion part of it too, which People are often surprised at how much emotion singing can bring up. It's one thing to sing in a group of people, which, man, I cannot wait until I have the chance to do that again. Never going to take it for granted how nice it is to just sing in a crowd of people. But one of the reasons that is so powerful, of course, is we're stinking our breath. We're taking the same inhale, taking the same exhale. There's power in that. But then when you are singing alone, I'm getting moved just thinking about it. When you're singing alone, it's a pronouncement of your individuality and your right to be here. Here is my own unique voice coming out of the depth of my being, a result of 
this physical body in all of the ways it's made up, the shape of my lungs, the shape of my larynx, everything. And then this soul that's within produces this unique sound. And if I give it space and silence to exist, then I'm kind of affirming my my right to be here. And I think at a very basic level, people are afraid of that. Mm -hmm. We're always kind of sneaking around like, do I have a right to be here? Am I fitting in here? Mm -hmm. And that's emotional. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It brings up a lot of things. And we're trained to judge the sounds. But when you get into a flow of you're just letting your sound come out, it's, I really think it's your your soul is singing. (laughs) And so liberating, like what you were saying, Nikki, the the learning and then the unlearning, because as Nat sharing that, that dialogue that many of us have, that fear or terror of using our own sound and hearing ourselves, but also going against maybe the conditioning, which for a lot of us, it was be quiet. Don't draw attention to yourself, even with your movement or your voice or your energy in any capacity, like you were saying, fit in and just behave. And then there's something, whether it's the movement of the body and the movement of the voice that breaks through the, can we just keep containing ourselves? Can you just keep containing yourself to make me feel better? Can you just, can you just, so to have that moment where you are going through potentially years and years and years and years of conditioning of in yourself. I mean, it's just beyond liberating. I mean, the emotions that are stored and buried in those years of different forms of silencing for many people. Mm. And and there's, there is a remembrance that happens when we sound, when we make song. And I, I mentioned this in our grief conversation, but infants, like mammalian infants do this so naturally. And it's not just the distressed cries of, help. I need food or I I need to be held. It's not just those. It's just sound constantly. If you've ever just seen an infant sitting there, it's like, like it's just making sound. And at some point, somebody says, at the point where you can understand, someone says, hey, cut up all that noise. Be quiet. Sit down. At some point you understand, and this is one of the things to unlearn, you understand like, I can't just cry at any time whenever I want. I've got to keep this under wraps. I mean, we really learn that a lot of us. We get Mm -hmm. so good at controlling that emotion, but there's a remembering. There's a part of us that, oh yeah, there was a time where I didn't know any of this stuff and I just let the sound come out. I had gas. I let the sound come out. (laughs) I just, I was free. And I I think that is who we really are. Yeah. And that's it. You know, I was in, uh, I was in college and I uh, was, the RA for this high school group that came in uh, to NYU, 18, 19, trying to make sure that these 15-year-olds didn't die by New York yellow cab. And <laughs> and at some point, I screamed to somebody to prevent a literally a cab from running over them and burst a blood vessel on my vocal cord. And so when I went back into vocal I had a vocal teacher at that time. We were doing these long tones, which basically means you hold one note for a long time. And then you go to the next note up the scale, the next note up the scale. And everything was fine until I got to these two notes. And spontaneously, 
I just started sobbing as I was holding those two notes, looking around the room at my classmates being like, I don't know what's happening. (laughs) Everything seems fine. I don't know. And then I got to that third note and the tears cleared up. Wow. Completely. And it was this really life-changing moment of relating my voice to emotion and realizing that there are certain pitches that store remembrance, as as you say, Nikki, so mm-hmm. well. I mean, that's how we met, right? That's how you guided our group through these chakra points and through these vibrational points in the body producing sound that, that hold memory, that hold story, that hold shh-ing. And I wonder, Nikki and JC, I'd love to know from you too, is this at all a gendered conversation? Because I know in my own life as a woman, speaking a little bit lower and more confirmationally or with a little bit more assertion was something that was not very ladylike when Mm -hmm. I grew up with a mom who wore pink cardigans. But I also have a brother who having a higher pitched voice was looked as lacking in virility. Mm -hmm. So do you guys feel like there's any kind of gender bias when it comes to sound and emotion and what happens there? I mean, I think absolutely. And I'll speak just for my own story. But yeah, like you said, we learn these ways of being and this is how a woman behaves herself. And in fundamentalist evangelical setting that I grew up in, that's one of the cornerstones is a woman uh, keeps her poise and her cool and her quiet and doesn't speak up. Also, forget speaking up, doesn't even have any feelings about the things. You're just letting things come in Mm. and being at peace and being this peace beam to everyone constantly. Mm -hmm. And so I think for sure that that some of that is gendered just because of the structure of of patriarchy. But I also think that when it comes to just the raw technology of the voice, it's a across the board, people are holding back that sound. And in fact, when it comes to tears and to crying, oftentimes it's people who identify as men that are reporting that I didn't know I could have this kind of release in this way. For me, what I've been noticing, so there's one thing to use my voice as a singer or as a a teacher, but one of the areas that I'm working on in my life is how I handle the moment. Kind of like you just said about you reach those two notes and then everything broke. I've noticed that I have this thing (laughs) of when it's time for me to tell the truth about how I really feel about something or to say no, or to just speak my need about Mm -hmm. something, I have that same thing. It's like, that is the threshold. And then I I go to tears. And so many times it keeps me from saying, and I think that is a very gendered thing. Because I think I'm supposed to be cool with stuff. I don't want people to think I'm needy, Mm -hmm. but you've got to speak your needs. Mm -hmm. And so where I'm practicing right now is that how you practice anything is going to that point again and again where it breaks, where you break. Mm-hmm. And as you approach it, slow down and remind yourself of your safety. Because the nervous system is having an experience of, this is beyond what we normally do. Oh, no. <laughs> and and so I've, I'm, I have to have a lot of compassion with myself and say like, oh, my gosh, my nervous system is freaking out just because I want to say, I don't want pizza for dinner. It, it'll happen at the smallest things. And of course, it's happening at, for bigger things. But it's just slowing down and saying, 
of course I'm going to react this way after all of this conditioning. Let me slow down. Mm-hmm. Let me allow the whatever emotion's going to flow, allow it to release so I can get to the other side. Mm. That really yeah. resonates so much with just thinking about those moments in myself where the communication around those feelings or that energy is so, 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 so difficult. And yet the words or the sound are what is the door opening to the buildup of emotions to begin to release. And when you think about it, it those pockets of ourselves have been where we've just been storing and storing and storing and storing, and then it starts to build like a dam. So then the moment where we say, actually, I don't want pizza is like puncturing the buildup yes. of the emotion and energy. And you shared a little bit ago of crying is the way. And in the wisdom of emotions and what you so beautifully and brilliantly created for class that singing, you said that singing is crying on pitch. Yes, <laughs> literally. So how, how have you been able to work with people to, I want to say like amplify the cry, or if I think about years and years and years ago where maybe you've heard of this in tribal societies that there would be like a grieving circle that you could go and someone would hold space for that emotion of grief to come through and open the door for other people to allow that energy to release in them, which is what you do. How, how do you coach people to just trust, to just go for it and just go with it, to let the cry come where cries and tears were either forbidden or so deeply shamed? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think one of the things is you have to give yourself time. There has to be a little bit of the luxury of time for some of those things to come through in an intentional way. Of course, we cry tears, they surprise us. We have emotion constantly, but to work with it in an intentional way really takes time. And so getting someone in a place where they can feel that safety, just like a baseline sense of nervous system safety, blankets around, cocooning, and then letting the sound start to come out in the softest of ways. And so people think, oh, you're going to get me to wail. No, not necessarily. It might not, it might not be this guttural thing. It might be a, it might just be the, the faintest of sounds. And because your sound carries emotion, <laughs> you don't even have to think of it. It self has an emotional signature. As you start to release that, there is this little kind of like a feedback loop of you hearing your own self making that sound and you get a little bit more safe. And then with an instructor or with a group of people, or like you just said, grieving circles, those kinds of spaces, you're also hearing other people access their release. And I know not everyone believes this, but in a really metaphysical sense, we're all connected, (laughs) I believe. And so me hearing someone else access that in themselves, it's going to access it in me. And so sometimes you can take the pressure off of, I need to have this emotional experience, this full-on release that looks a certain way. It might not look that way. It might simply be you listening and rocking yourself and letting, letting sound move through you. And then At some point, you get the courage to just, all you got to do is open your jaw, (laughs) Mm. let breath move in and out, and sound might flow out on that. But you need time and patience and a lot of self-compassion along the way. 
And that's a whole other skill altogether. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really uh, what I hear is it's uh, the practice of trust, building the capacity for trusting that you will make it through the other side of whatever is in that blockage. Mm-hmm. It's the same in any spiritual capacity because creating sound as a form of expression really is different than articulately communicating. (laughs) And that really is what we are conditioned to do. This is the point that I need to get across to you rather than this is the emotion I need to release from my system. That's actually reminding me of, I really love long form improv. That's another facet of my personality, but there's a lot of improv exercises that are designed to just get you out of your own way, to just get you into that flow. And there's an exercise that I, I can't say that I created it because I'm sure someone else had the idea, but I kind of paired those kinds of exercises with, there's something you do when you're rehearsing a song. So like, these are words I'm talking about here. And consonants, TDK, can often get in the way of the free flow of breath and sound. And so sometimes when you're practicing a song, I'm trying to think of a song that could be fine to sing in this context, but you try to sing it without the consonants. And so you sing just the vowels. So what's a song? <laughs> why, why am I blanking on songs? Okay, well, happy birthday. That's, Great. that's public Perfect. domain. Um, <laughs> you say, instead of happy birthday, you say, and you just practice letting the air move through without involving the consonants. And what you're also endeavoring to do is try to limit the amount that your mouth is moving so that it's free, muscularly free. So I combined these two ideas. Sometimes when it's a struggle to communicate something, all that's needed is just the sound and no, no consonants. And so something is difficult to communicate if you have a partner or a friend that is like willing to do this with you, it's actually kind of fun. If you have a difficult conversation, try it with just the sounds. <laughs> it's this very silly, amazing. but <laughs> and, and it's, you're not trying to say words. You're trying to communicate the sound, the feel of what it is. And one of the things that it does, first of all, is the silliness creates a sense of safety. That's one of the power of, of silliness because I, I can only be silly when my nervous system feels relatively okay. And so you start being silly, you create that container, and then you can communicate beyond the words. Of course, in Miracles says this thing, words are but symbols of symbols. Words are a couple of steps removed from the thing, and they so often get in the way. But what is it like to just communicate? What is the raw thing coming through clearly. I don't know if I explained that very well, but I hope everyone tries it. <laughs> this is going to make our company meetings so much more interesting. I cannot <laughs> wait. <laughs> oh, it's it's really let yourself go there. It's really powerful. Wow. I love that. I love the idea that you are just you're bypassing words. I think it's also why I love poetry because it's it's not language for which you're trying to communicate a thought. It's language for which you're trying to communicate an emotion. I threw out the term anti-mentor for the experience that you shared with us of this person who was like, you know, you're not a singer. Try something else. Do a different Mm -hmm. major. Did you then have a mentor? I'm fascinated by the idea of mentors. I've always had mentors. I find them really necessary 
creatures in our life. Did you then have that counterbalance? Did you have somebody who was like, you've really got something, Nikki, and I can help you develop it or no, or was it your own intuition? The thing is, I haven't had anyone yet say directly, and I can help you develop it, that part, but there has never been a shortage of people. And this is something I'm super grateful for, but even in my lowest moments, when the no's have been plentiful, there's always been other voices saying, I think you got something like, keep going, keep going. Mm -hmm. And many people over time, but I think that was when I was in college. And then there was a lot of years that happened in between before I really owned the fact that, hey, I'm a singer. (laughs) I kind of put that part of my personality on another shelf when I, or when I accepted that opinion. (laughs) And Mm. I, I put it aside, even though I kept singing for years and years and years. And actually, I have a mentor that's someone that you know, that is a person who consistently has said to me, oh, you got to go into that more. Like, I believe in you. This is going to take some time, but you got to keep going without necessarily taking me under her wing. But Elena Brower, and when I when I have a, a real crisis of confidence, that's a part of my experience. I have them all the time. <laughs> that's a person I can go to and is just a no nonsense. Just keep going. Like, and really yeah. encouraged me into an experience of my life that was not just about survival. So really most of my life getting to adulthood was really about survival. And my biggest thing that I'm in the process of unlearning is how just not to live my life from that place. Like I'm surviving, like I'm here, but so many times I find myself living for that survival. And so she really encouraged me to explore what feels good. Like, what do you like? You have a right as a person to be in enjoyment. And so that's something I go back to again and again uh, when I find myself in that survival orientation. It's so insidious that because (laughs) I got so good at it and like Mm -hmm. all of the techniques that I devised for how you manage the situation, nervous system. And uh, one of the things is epilepsy. I have epilepsy. And so for years, I had all of these mysterious seizures. And it's actually what led me to yoga and embodiment practices in the first place. Actually, if it wasn't for seizures, I would not be speaking to you today. Wow. <laughs> because when I was in college, I was having a, a lot of trouble with seizures and I was on a seizure med and at some point I needed to get off of it and someone was like, "You know what? You should try yoga to help you with your seizures." And I said so clearly <laughs> this thing and it really worked. I said, "As soon as I move to DC, I'll get a job at a yoga studio and that's how I'll take classes." And it's like the universe was like, okay, that's the plan. And I emailed a studio and was like, hey, are you looking for people? And they were like, no, we're not. And a month later, when I moved to DC, the day I got there, they were like, hey, actually come work with us. And it was a few weeks of into working for that company that I met the editor-in-chief of Yoga Journal. And she was like, you should follow your dreams and move to New York. And I was wow. like, okay, when I do... Uh, I'll let you know. And I let her know. And then she immediately put me on an email with Elena and Skylar Grant. And it was like, this girl's pretty cool. (laughs) Talk about the first first two people you're introduced to in the community. 
day. The yoga heavy. It just went right to the vein there. Wow. Really? And I had no idea. I was just like, okay, these are some cool people that became my family in a lot of ways. But the tricky thing about that, though, that I've had to untangle is that I was right where I was supposed to be, first of all. And like the need that I had in healing my body led me to these people, this community, these new ways of thinking about everything. But I still had this understanding of my desires around creating, around using my voice, around everything. I still had this understanding that that wasn't for me. I'm not allowed to do that because I don't want to do it in church and God will strike me down or God, like who knows what will happen. But I kind of created a division in myself for my creative artistic self and then whatever this other person was. And so there's this thing that happens, I noticed in life, it happens a lot where the things that helped for a while you have to reframe because they might not help anymore. <laughs> they mm-hmm. might they might keep you in a box. And so there's been a whole dance of being like, yes, the yoga, wellness, I love it. It changed my life. It's helped me heal myself, access all of these things. But how do I now use all of the tools I have to have a more authentic embodied experience in myself, expression of myself? D- is that making sense? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that includes Absolutely. all the parts. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, I hear you say to experience your change without identifying with the pain of it or the suffering of it or or who you were in it. Yes. And even without identifying any particular version of myself, there's a, I think you kind of asked at the beginning, what, what are you? (laughs) Like, are you an artist? (laughs) Are you a... And I I used to, and by used to, I mean like up until a few months ago, (laughs) this is a very recent development, but I used to get so caught up in shame about how come I can't, how come I can't just be one thing fully and, and feel shame about I'm not a healer because I do this other thing, or I'm not a singer because I do, I just felt so much shame and so much pressure to fit into one version of myself and the experience of the pandemic and everything that 2020 was really afforded space for me to feel into, well, first of all, when you're not doing certain things, am I still that thing? I'm not performing for people in front of crowds. Am I still a singer? I'm not acting, you know, on a set. Am I still an actor? Like what, what am I when those things fall away? And what I think the last year has really created space for, for me, is tapping into an essence of being, a continuum of being beneath all of that, that is, it's a continuum. It's, it's not changing. It's it's constant. And it is, it hates being put into a box and being confined into something. And it wants to try different things on. And I think I am excited about trying on life that way. Okay, it's this is what we're doing today. This is how we're showing up. Yes, maybe I need to for a while, put on a particular hat, but it's just an outfit. Mm-hmm. I get to put on other ones too. I think for me, that's only come with tapping into that interior being that's below all my narratives, stories, below what other people say about me. There is so much, not just pressure, but it is that expectation when you think about the questions that people ask you as a child. And then once you start to study and then you're in school and then what you do, it is very much of a one word answer. You know, like, what do you want to do? Who are you? What do you study? What do you do for work? It's it's not necessarily, 
I'm all of these amazing things because I'm such a talented, incredible person. It's the just one, just one, one, please. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there is this this writing that you put out, Nikki, that I came across that I would love if it's okay with you just to share this one little paragraph. It's from this writing that you put out called I Ain't Gonna Study War No More. Do you know what I'm talking Ooh, about? I do know what you're talking about. Ooh. So there's one little paragraph here that just sums up so much of what you're sharing on your on your road, road to healing. But ultimately it was the screaming in my body that startled me into disavowal. And it was love that beckoned from behind what I once thought were enemy lines into a new education. Face to face with seizures, endometriosis, and for the first time in my life, really facing the depth and seriousness of childhood trauma, I needed another way. All of my elaborate defenses proven detrimental, I was invited to surrender to the possibility that maybe love was real and that maybe it was for me. Oh, man, I needed to hear that. Sometimes you write stuff and you forget. Mm. Oh, man, I wrote that piece in a time where I don't know if we have enough time for this story, but just to give the background a little bit. But, you know, I had had extremely, I mean, this is people are ready to hear this stuff, but I had had for years extremely terrible periods and a lot of pain. And I eventually, after years of, I would say like, I I would describe my pain to people and I would go to doctors and they'd be like, oh, that's not a thing. Or it's probably just cramps. You'll, You'll probably be totally fine. I would buy that. I would survive those days and then get into my follicular phase and be like, okay, yeah, that pain I totally imagined. I'm totally fine. And then maybe another month later, I would be right back where I was in tremendous pain. And then finally I met a doctor who was like, oh, I think this is endometriosis. And like, I believe you when you say, because I would say when I step on my right foot, I feel pain. For years, I, I would just feel wow. something. And a doctor, one doctor was like, that's not possible. But then this doctor believed me. And I finally had a surgery, which that process itself was full of shame because I was in the wellness world and everybody was telling me, mm. you can heal this, Nikki. You mm. can like do this through your nutrition, through this, through that. And I tried and I felt like I was a failure for getting this surgery. But I got the surgery. And after the first surgery, my doctor said to me, I don't understand how you were walking around. Wow. wow. And she showed me pictures of the huge situation <laughs> that was going on in wow. my u- and around my uterus and she was like I don't know how you were walking around with that. And I was like I don't I don't know either. And it plunged me into this whole process of understanding why did my body decide to do that? And then in a short time my body did it again. Like within a few months I had 13 tumors in my uterus. <gasps> Yeah. And I had to have another surgery and she took pictures of them again. And I was recovering, just staring at the pictures thinking body. First of all, body, this is really cool. Like you think you're doing something to help me. I fully see this is part of some survival technology that you learned how to do really well. And it's part of your defense system. It's part of your war system. I don't need to study war anymore. Thank you for all the ways you learned how to do that. Mm. But there's another way now. And I I wrote that piece just as my pronouncement of like, I'm going to use love <laughs> as my way through. As a child, I wasn't safe. 
I understand why my body needed to protect itself in that way. Mm-hmm. But now I'm safe. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I forget, but now, now I am. And my job is to remind myself of that and study love. I know that sounds so lame. It sounds a little corny, but Mm-mm. but my work is studying that love. And when I mm. notice in myself that I'm doing something out of my defense mode, how can I redirect it? And defense mode is so tricky because it can look like, for me, it, it has rarely looked like anger, but it doesn't, for me, it doesn't make itself really known. It's my body decides to do something or mm. I just put an emotion away. I'm not going to deal with that. Like I said before, I'm not going to speak on that. I don't need to mm-hmm. let my needs be known. I'll mm-hmm. just swallow it. Yeah. But now it's like, I'm going to trust that there's enough love that I can say, even with a shaky voice, I can say the truth. Mm. And now my body doesn't have to metabolize those things for me because wow. there's enough love. <sighs> We're creating something for next month called the cycle of transformation. And And it really is that, that change looks different for you, Nikki, than it does for me, than it does for you, JC. It's like our circumstances are all very different, but it's actually about coming to find a trust in your own inner energies that have to go through a certain process and a certain confrontation with the part of us that's shaking in order to find the new version of ourselves or stability or, you know, or safety. Mm. And that's what I hear in your story is part of the cycle of transformation is turning toward the voice that is shaking in order to understand the information that is causing the tremor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When it is so much easier just to turn away from it. I'm not confident then in that area. Let me stick to the things that I know for certain, or I'm a little insecure in that dimension of myself. Let me, let me hide behind the things that I already feel very, very secure. Yeah. The familiar. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think we're coming to a place and a time where the only thing left is to experience (laughs) (laughs) your, your voice and JC, I know, I know you, you have a beautiful way of sort of guiding our listeners into, into listening. Well, I think Nikki does not need an introduction, but before you share with us one of your many gifts, Nikki, for listeners that want to experience your vocal technique sessions, know more about you. I know you're working on an EP. You've, you've got stuff on Spotify. There's a whole, all things Nikki Morris said out there. How do, how do people find you? Yes. What can, and how can they work with you? The best way to find me is just through my website, which is NikkiMorissette.com. N-I-K-I-M-O-R-R-I-S-S-E-T-T-E.com. And in terms of music, yes, I've been working on music. I'm just about to release a song from my solo EP a few days after Valentine's Day. And so look for that. That's going to be my first like solo work out in the world, my wow. own songs and all of that. Wow. So it's a big, Good for you. it's a big moment. It's like, a, I, it's, it's been one thing to lend my voice to other people's projects or, or lend my writing to other people's projects. But now these, I'm saying my story. Yes. <laughs> so my real given first name is Venika, V-E-N-I-K-A. And that's my artist band name. Oh I'm actually going to start just letting people call me by my real name from now on. I, I love that. 
Vinica, yeah. Vinica. And that's also part of reclaiming like this essence of who I, yes. I really am. But yeah, Vinica the EP is coming out soon. Next week I'll drop a song. And actually the song I think I'd like to share is from that. And can I say a little bit about what the song is? Please. <laughs> well, this whole EP is about my sort of breakup with <laughs> systems and things that no longer serve. And so many times things don't serve, and but they still have value. And so this song is is about that. Hey, you 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 helped me. You helped me get to this point, but I actually will take what I received from it, but the rest of it can go. And I I'm really for myself speaking a lot about that upbringing around fundamentalism, which I think is as we talk about dismantling patriarchy and dismantling white supremacy and all of that, I had to look into myself like, well, what do I do with that? How do I approach that? And I I think releasing myself and and growing through the fundamentalism and all of that is part of that journey. And yeah, should I play this song? Please. Please. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna sit back. I'm gonna close my eyes. Yes. Take you, my breath if, into this. If you are listening in and there's a way that you can safely stop what you're doing and take this in, I highly recommend it. Okay. And forgive me if I play a wrong note. Piano is just something I use to write songs. Shelving my reason So that demons It could cool My veins I followed you for mystery Make believe And you could ease My pain Hello Recover. It's time to say goodbye. Well, you can have all your dangerous energy. You can have all your dangerous energy. And I'm getting back, back to the best of me. And you can have all your dangerous energy. You can call me back when you get help. I'll 
take the memories, the ones I like. I'll take the scars, the ones that remind. I'll take the fragments, no peace left behind. I'll take my healing. I'll take the romance, the little you'd permit And I'll take the chance that no other love exists And I'll take back words I used to defend I'll take my freedom What a gift. We're all we're all emoting in the most wonderful way. Wow. Thank you for that heart opening. Thank you for that release. Thank you for your wisdom. It is such an honor to know you, Nikki, and to learn from you. Ditto. <laughs> Seriously. And thank you all for having me here. And I just we've been talking about vulnerability and crying this whole time. I should say I can't sing anything without feeling like I have to cry after <laughs> like, <laughs> and so it, it's just, it's part of the, the raw vulnerability. And I just hope that people listening will feel the courage to let themselves have that kind of experience. Like you deserve it. You deserve yeah. the space to <laughs> let it go. You're two for two with JC and I. <laughs> uh. God, Nikki, I can't, you can't sing without crying. I can't listen to you sing without crying. Oh, I mean, really, it's such a, I was talking about it with a group. I was out of town this past week and we were talking about the, the practice of whalers, like, you know, and what a gift that is for somebody else's voice to move you into release. It's really like, Nikki, you are or Vanika, I'm going to stop calling you Nikki, is it's just a real, I don't know what to say, gift, sor- sorcery, magic. Oh, it's, it's a, I think it's also a real privilege and honor to, to sing. I, I, I like, I think everyone should sing, but I also think it's an honor to be one of the humanity's yeah. singers, the yeah. people in the community responsible for song coming through. I humbly take that on. 
Mm-hmm. I think it's a superpower. I mean, I, I you know, whenever you're like a re- sitting around with your girlfriends and you're like, what superpower would you want to have? My answer always is the power of song. I wish I were a singer. And I know you're probably going to be like, no, nah, you know, everyone's a singer, <laughs> but no, not like that. <laughs> now, do you, do you want to close us out with your song? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It, well, that was beautiful. I have heard you sing many a time now. I've been in the car with you with the radio loud. <laughs> I will. I'm sorry. <laughs> you got a voice. You got a voice. I'm so excited for our listeners just to follow you, Nikki, know more about you, work with you, learn with you, and so thankful you're a part of the class community and the class family. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all you do. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Nikki. The class at its core is a movement practice. If you're not already a digital student, try our 14-day free trial by downloading our app or going to digitalstudio.theclass.com. To view our shop, learn about our teachers, and explore more, please visit theclass.com or follow us on Instagram at theclass. This week in the Class Digital Studio, we have a new music collaboration with Persian trap artist Asadi, taught by Sophia. Also releasing this week is a 75-minute advanced class with Laura and another version of the class Light with Carla. We are thrilled to welcome two new teachers onto our platform this week, Amanda and Christina. Please look for their class times on the live stream schedule.